Hello. When it comes to flushing the toilet, pouring water down a kitchen sink or emptying a bucket of liquid down an outside drain, I think it is fair to say that one phrase sums up how many of us think about waste. Out of sight, out of mind. The fact is that we rarely, if ever, think about what happens to the waste we produce in our bodies, in our houses or on our farms. But it is an issue that occupies the minds of several scientists. Many of them spend their days not only thinking and writing about waste, but they also come face to face with it. They climb into sewers, they take samples from septic tanks and they test faecal sludge. Well, a mention of faeces so early in the show uh, shouldn't turn you off. Please don't turn the radio off because we have a fascinating half hour ahead of us talking to two scientists who both work at the forefront of our battle with waste, something that is never permanently out of sight. My guests are Jean O'Dwyer, environmental scientist in University College Cork. And on the line from Sligo, Tom Curran, lecturer at the School of Biosystems and Food Engineering at University College Dublin. You're both very welcome. Thanks for coming along. Uh, Tom, you um, grew grew up on a farm in in Sligo. Uh, you said that you fell into your chosen field of study by accident. You were working in a meat factory. You were looking for new jobs and you saw this position in UCD and, and it was an opportunity to get into the environment in a way that I suppose you hadn't beforehand. Yes, I uh, grew up on a farm in Sligo and I was working in the, the meat industry for a few years and uh, I studied engineering originally in the agricultural and food engineering specialization and then I had done a, a master's in environmental engineering and I got to see firsthand in the, the meat industry having to deal with uh, wastewater treatment, uh, having to, to see you know the mixture of blood and wash water that was coming down, how it could be dealt with and how it could be treated before uh, being let out into um, the water bodies nearby. So uh, I had a, a practical hands-on uh, look at it and uh, then uh, a job opportunity came up in UCD, a one-year lecturing post and uh, I thought I had the right qualifications for it and uh, hands-on experience. It was looking at odour management and uh, waste management and uh, and when you were I working in qualified when you were working in the meat factory and looking at the blood going down the drains did you wonder you know where is this all ending up yes well uh, I was the uh, production and environmental manager and uh, it was my responsibility to uh, check uh, where it was going and uh, making sure that it was treated properly so I had to deal with the local authority and the Environmental Protection Agency as well, because at that time in the 1990s, the Environmental Protection Agency brought in the idea of integrated pollution control licensing so that uh, it took a holistic approach at uh, seeing where the environmental emissions were coming out of industry and uh, how to manage them according to best practice, which is called best available techniques, or at that time was called BATNIC, best available uh, technology not entailing excessive cost. And you grew up, as I said, on a farm in Sligo. You would have been very aware, I presume, of, of your own, literally your own environment. But you said that it was working in Austria, uh, in academia, where you say they were miles ahead of Ireland in their thinking about the environment that really stimulated you to start looking at the issues of, you know, of our impact on the environment and waste in particular. Yeah, when I was in uh, my undergraduate engineering degree in UCD, I got the opportunity uh, to have work experience in Austria in the um, 
regional environmental protection agency office there and uh, through my work there uh, looking at water samples uh, from the beautiful Austrian mountains, the Alps there, and uh, you've seen how the Austrian people um, consider the environment and how advanced they were in terms of sorting out their rubbish at uh, in their homes. I was really impressed and I, I was thinking to myself, why, why can't we do that in Ireland? And I thought they were way ahead of us. And Jean, you grew up in rural Limerick. Um, but your own journey to becoming an environmental scientist, I gather when you were 16, you watched um, Al Gore's film, An Inconvenient Truth, which was about climate change and I think shocked a lot of people when they saw it. That was very seminal, was it, in your own kind of decision to, to get into academia in the way in the way that you did? Yeah, I think so. Um Similar to Tom, grew up in, in rural Limerick, so was always kind of outdoors anyway. Loved being outside. Um, I suppose it was a different time anyway. We were all outside <laughs> just by, we were forced to. And then as I, as I got bigger, I always knew I wanted to be a scientist. And then, yeah, around that time when I was a teenager in the, the kind of the mid-90s, um, the early 2000s, the kind of whole environmental movement was becoming very strong. Um, so there was a real draw into it. And I remember seeing An Inconvenient Truth in the cinema at the time and, and being kind of taken aback by it afterwar- afterwards because it was so frightening. Now, it was a little bit sensationalist, retrospectively looking back, but that was kind of solidified my decision that, yeah, I wanted to go to university and to do specifically um, a natural science. Uh, so I did environmental science in UL and then stuck with it and went on to do my PhD and I'm still an environmental scientist now. You, When we think about waste, uh, I mean, I can only speak personally, you know, you, you, you look at the sink, you look at your outside drains, you flush the toilet. It really, for me anyway, you just don't think about it any more than that. You sort of, I imagine it's all sorted. <laughs> yeah, nobody the network so. is there and I just wonder, you know, this network... Tom, underneath our streets and our houses and our schools of pipes and and sewers that deal with all this waste. You know, take me back centuries ago briefly. And, you know, how did we manage the waste in the past? And when did sewage systems come into place? Well, I suppose if you think of the Romans, they were famous for uh, building their aqueducts and roads and uh, civil engineering projects. Uh, So, they were well able to transport water. But even uh, before their time, there was a, a region uh, around the area of Pakistan and in India. It was uh, called the Indus Civilization. And they were actually very clever. They built uh, settlements, uh, houses effectively together, and they were very equitable. They supplied water to every single house, and uh, the water would flow down through the house by gravity. And then it would take out the wash water by gravity and every single accommodation unit uh, would have its own water supply and uh, then the the wash water would be taken out. uh, And they were really one of the first civilizations that um, came up with the idea of sewers. Um, And it's one of the great contributions, I think, to public health uh, in, in terms of managing waste and uh, keeping disease like typhoid and cholera away from us. Uh, so in, in modern times, I suppose, really, uh, if you look at London City, it was, there was, there was a, a great stink in uh, 1858 where effectively the Thames River was uh, considered to be an open sewer. Everybody's waste effectively was going into it. And uh, 
that summer was really hot in that June and uh, the House of Parliament could no longer conduct their business because it was so smelly and they decided to put more money into it and uh, Joseph Baselgate, he was the engineer responsible for designing uh, London's uh, sewer system. So that's the, the modern sewer system we have today. And obviously disease and the dangers of disease would have been a huge driver. But Jean, you know, in, in Ireland, let's, I don't know, take the 1950s in Ireland, what did we do with waste back then? Yeah, well, so we would have had um, a sewer system at that time, but it, it, it wasn't going to a treatment facility. So it wasn't being treated. So it was very much just being... Um, the effluent was just going straight into coastal waters or lakes or rivers. And and that's been that's still true in some cases and has been true in, in the major cities, like for even Cork. It's only in the last 20 years or so that we have a major sewer system within Cork City. The last 20 years? Yeah, so it was all originally going into the, into the Lee, you know. Um, and it was started in 1998, uh, big EU funding. Um, to do, and it was a huge undertaking, obviously, especially in Cork with all the narrow streets, uh, to literally uproot, uproot everything city. and put down a sewer line to connect it to a treatment system. And I suppose at this stage, we should dis- just uh, sort of a simple definition of what we mean by wastewater. Yeah, so wastewater is, is literally any water that goes down any drain or comes out of your, your house or your dishwasher, or your washing machine, or the storm drains you see on the side of the road. All of that will go into an underground network. Um, that is then classed as wastewater. Um, so it's literally everything. So in in sp- like for in specific industries, they would they might have their own like very delineated streams. Um, but in general, it's it's any water that we have used and are no longer using is then classified as wastewater. And and Tom, talk to me a bit about what goes down sinks and drains. I mean. Uh- Obviously, there's no one policing you in your kitchen or outside in your drain. But are there any laws that we should know about, about what we can and can't put down the sink and the drain? And, and where does that uh, liquid end up? Uh, well, uh, generally, we're covered by the, the Water Pollution Act and, um, you know, as individual citizens and businesses as well. So if you uh, look at, um, say, restaurants in particular, um they would have licenses to discharge into the sewer. And um, uh, say, for example, in Dublin, uh, they have an inspection system where they send in inspectors to check uh, what is being put down the drains, what's put in the, the dishwashers, etc. And the purpose of that is to prevent fat, soils and grease uh, going down the sewer. So everybody really has a responsibility, apart from restaurants, us as individuals, we have to try and reduce the, the burden on the environment by preventing uh, fast oils and grease going down into our, um, you know, into our sinks and uh, dishwashers as well and trying to avoid uh, flushing um, things like wet wipes down our toilets as well. That's really critical. We have to, you know, take our own responsibility for our actions there. But we are, are we legally allowed to put whatever we want down the sink? Well, um I suppose, you know, under a common law, uh, we shouldn't be creating a, a nuisance. So uh, it's very, the, the challenge with sewers, as you said earlier, is that it's out of sight, out of mind. Uh, people generally don't have um, an immediate comeback uh, or impact on themselves if they <clears throat> put something down the, the sewer and it causes a blockage. Jean, talk to me a bit about what happens when we we flush the toilet. I mean, I think one of the most remarkable things I've learned in reading up on this is the fact that I could 
conceivably get a glass, put it into the cistern and drink that water because that is what they call potable water. I mean, that's drinkable water that goes into the into the toilet in the beginning, isn't it? Yeah, so generally we have our, our, our drinking water treatment or a water treatment plants and that gets pumped through the house and then once it has either come out of the sink or gone through us or whatever, it is then considered wastewater. Yeah, so it's quite a strange one that we have here that we have treated water that goes through our system and then it is termed wastewater. Is that unusual at European level? Um, it, it's very dependent, it seems, on the kind of water availability of the country to begin with. So like Ireland is 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 very, it's a wet country, you know, nobody has any, like we think differently about water than many Europeans. Um, even colleagues from Portugal or whatever find it outlandish that we would, that I would leave the, the tap running while brushing my teeth. Um, so very different concepts of water availability. So in countries where it's obviously more of an issue, um, they have different circulation systems within um, their houses or workplaces so that like grey water or water that you wouldn't drink, but there's no issue using it in, in a toilet, is recirculated through the building, which which stands to reason in my mind anyway. Would certainly make more sense. So, so when you flush the toilet then... Uh, does it depend where you live in terms of what happens to the waste? Yeah, so in Ireland we have an urban-rural divide with almost everything. Um, so in urban areas, the big cities or the big major towns, they generally have um, wastewater treatment uh, works and like the public wastewater treatment system, so a piped infrastructure that will lead to a treatment facility. In rural Ireland, we don't have that because it's kind of bitty, one-off housing. Um, so they have, as, as Tom alluded to, like individual treatment systems that we call septic tanks. Um, so they're commonplace. So we have hundreds of thousands of them in Ireland. Um, so quite hard to manage. And then we have our big industrious wastewater treatment plants. And people tend to kind of look at the big wastewater treatment plants, like in the likes of Dublin or whatever, and go, God, they could be a big issue. But they're actually probably easier to manage than, than all the little supplies. And so in the septic tank, what happens and where does that waste end up? Yeah, so that's just going out of your house, so under the ground and into a septic tank system, which is kind of a micro wastewater treatment system where you have kind of settlement and the solids sink to the bottom because they're heavier and the wastewater comes to the top. And then there's a soakage pit. Um, it's called a percolation area where the wastewater is spread out and you're just hoping that it, it naturally attenuates then in the environment. Um, but that's predict. That's all depends on the soil type and the permeability of the soil. It's quite a, a science. And, and to what extent does the wastewater that comes from toilets, be they in rural or urban Ireland, end up, or does it come back ever as drinking water? No. Well, like you could have um, wastewater treatment plants that will have an effluent pipe into a sensitive receiving water, which means that it could be used as, as a drinking water source. But there's no, there's no it's not a direct loop. And, and the issue with septic tanks in rural areas is what? I mean, it, I suppose it's where also you, you, farming comes into it as well. But that's part of what your research is about. Yeah, so the, I think, yeah, that's what I'm interested in. So in, in rural Ireland, we kind of have this perfect storm for public health issues that we have all these septic tanks um, that are in rural areas because there's no public infrastructure. Like where you have septic tanks then, because it's rural Ireland, you tend to have agriculture. So if you think of it in terms of faeces, so you have this source of human faeces and then you have the source of faeces from, from cattle or from agriculture in the same area. And then those people, more often than not, don't use the Irish water drinking supply. They use private wells. 
which aren't legislated and you know they're not governed by the state or anything so you kind of have this source transport receptor of public health where source contamination transport through drinking water and then the people who are drinking the water and we see that in our infectious disease as, an, as a country and, and the example of what's called VTEC yeah. we have the highest incidence of it in Europe just briefly describe what it is yeah so it's, an, it's the name is, is it sounds overcomplicated so it's called virotoxigenic producing E. coli so most people you can forget about that most people have heard about E. coli Joe so it's in all of us we all have E. coli um, in general it doesn't make us sick but there's some strains of it that are pathogenic and one of them is VTEC uh, so it's a notifiable infectious disease, and what, like like meningitis. So that means if you get it, somebody in the health department will know. <laughs> you know, it's notifiable. Um, and we have the highest incidence rate in Europe. So it's it's seven times um, higher than the European average, which is quite astronomical. Um, and it is a rural disease, absolutely. And the research that, that my group have done, we have shown rather demonstrably that it's associated with septic tanks agriculture and using private wells. And what then is the solution? I mean, can you look to other countries where they would have a rural population, uh, houses, you know, uh, on the side of a mountain that need to be uh, plumbed in? What, what do they do and how do they avoid this kind of issue? Yeah, so it's, it's actually kind of what Tom said before as well. It's the, the more kind of community approach where one of the solutions is to get uh, a couple of decentralised houses to come together and form a kind of a, a group scheme where they manage it as a group and then you kind of get more interest in it and people understand things a bit better. Another solution which negates the, the ignores the environment but only focuses on the people is to just install treatment systems within households. So they go under your kitchen sink and then you're protected um, from the bacteria, say. Is another but it costs money. But that costs papers. money. Yeah, that costs money. But um, like private water supplies cost more than the, well, the public supply is free, <laughs> as we know, or it's taxed. But private well, like they pay to have their well bored, and uh, so there's a cost associated with it anyway. And you'd be yeah, but we can't make that mandatory. But but as your research has shown, this is an issue of public health. Yeah, but what we also yeah. found is that when you go to people's houses and you tell them, especially like people with young kids or whatever, and we'd sample their water, we'd say, oh, does he call in your water? And they're very proactive then in wanting to protect themselves because we're people. Um, so they will install a treatment system themselves. Uh, Tom, just to bring you in there, I mean, looking at sort of urban areas, Cork, Limerick, whatever, just talk a bit about this, the, the, the sewers themselves. I mean, you are an expert on what they call fatbergs, which uh, is just a hideous word for something that really is grotesque in itself. But can you just describe what a fatberg is and, and describe an experience that you've had down in a sewer looking at one? Um, well, a fatberg is a congealed mass of fat, oil and grease and wet wipes and everything else that people are flushing down their toilets. And um, the word only was invented uh, just over 10 years ago when it uh, became an official word in the Oxford English Dictionary in 2015. Uh, the word actually was invented or uh, came into being um, by the people who work down in the sewers of London. These people are called flushers and they have the unenviable task of uh, removing these blockages, these fatbergs. How big can and they get? So um, the most famous one was found in Whitechapel in London in 2017, and that was uh, 130 tons in weight, uh, equivalent to 19 
African elephants and 250 meters long, which was longer than two football pitches put together. Um, the good thing about Ireland and particularly Dublin, although we do suffer from these blockages, uh, there might be roughly six to seven thousand, six or seven thousand uh, of these blockages in Ireland every year. And Dublin is actually one of the leading cities in dealing with this problem. Uh, they had um, up to a thousand blockages up to the, the year 2008. And, and then after that, they introduced a fat, soils and grease prevention program. As I mentioned earlier, they, they send in inspectors two to three times a year into every restaurant in Dublin to check that they're, uh, they have operating grease traps and they get the waste taken away. And as a result of that, they had uh, over a 90% reduction in these blockages in Dublin. So Dublin is actually one of the leading cities in the world in dealing with it. Uh, Jean, you know, the, the other thing that we haven't spoken about that maybe you could briefly describe is also the fact that drugs end up in the whole system, don't they? I mean, the drugs that we take, legal and illegal drugs, end up in the system and researchers have looked at that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, if, if everything that kind of goes into you uh, kind of comes out one way or another um, and it, depending on the, the pharmaceuticals, like, the majority of them... Um, don't get absorbed in your system. So antibiotics, about 90% of an antibiotic is excreted. So it's going back out of you. Uh, so only about 10% of it is actually retained. And then that's going down the toilet or whatever. Um, so one person on antibiotics isn't that big an issue. But you know, for Dublin, a million people, there's going to be quite a few people on antibiotics at any given time. Uh, and then it can potentially become become an issue. And like we've changed our relationship with pharmaceuticals um, from back in the, the 50s or 60s, even from things like the use of contraception or um, just different issues in terms of pharmaceuticals. And they all go down the drain. And end up in rivers, in lakes. Yeah, and that's the problem then, that they end up back in the natural environment. And that has problems on an ecological perspective for fish or wildlife. And then if it ends up back in a, a drinking water catchment, it can end up back in the drinking water supply. Whereas, like, we can take them out of the water, but we generally don't target specific drugs. Could be, they'd be in such small quantities. Um, but it's, it's, it's a developing issue. It's, they're called emerging contaminants of water. I'm just wondering, you know, we have this Project Ireland 2040, an extra million people living in Ireland by 2040, one presumes mainly in the urban centres. Everything that you're saying, both yourself and Tom, suggests that we're probably not ready for that number of people in terms of, of our wastewater situation and the sewage system, or is that not the case? Um, no, I think there'd be there'd be truth to that. Um, obviously, you know, it's a great thing to have more people in the country, um, but it has to be managed, um, and it has to be managed before that happens. So in terms of things like um, wastewater, I mean, it's already, our water system is already under quite a bit of pressure. So there's a lot of supplies on the remedial action list, and um, there's been a lot of issues. And to add more people to that will obviously put further pressures on it. Now, that's fine, as long as we're able to rise to that challenge and foresee the problems that will inevitably come um, and make sure that the infrastructure is in place to support that population. Because otherwise, you know, it's just, it, it all crumbles. And briefly, what do you think needs to happen? Um, so they need to invest um, more into upgrading the wastewater treatment and drinking water um, treatment systems that are subpar. So they need to be brought up to a certain standard. And then, so everything for wastewater treatment um, in particular is based on the population equivalent equivalents. So they have to make sure that, so say Dublin, that a treatment system can handle an extra 100,000 people moving into any small area um, 
they have to just make sure that it can actually be treated to a standard that's acceptable by EU legislation and by our own statutes. And finally, Tom, I mean, which countries are doing it well in your mind? I mean, you know, can you can you point to a country where they have a big population, but they've managed to manage their waste in a way that doesn't negatively affect the environment and all the rest? Um, well, generally, we would look in terms of um, the people leading um, the field in environmental protection would be areas of Central Europe, like Germany, um, Austria, uh, the Netherlands, uh, Scandinavia as well, uh, would be head of the game in a lot of cases too. Um, for example, I was in Amsterdam uh, last uh, year, uh, or sorry, earlier this year at a conference, and um, what they're doing is um, taking the what's called the circular economy approach. They're actually using the sewage treatment plant uh, for for benefit to harvest resources from it, and that's the way I think of the future that you can see uh, the wastewater treatment plant or sewage treatment plant uh, as uh, providing resources. And what they're doing in Amsterdam is they're treating the sewage for, for at least one million people and they're taking biogas off it. They're, they're, they're uh, harvesting energy from it, but they're also taking the sludge and adding a chemical to it, uh, which creates a product called struvite, magnesium ammonium phosphate. And that's actually a fertilizer then. So that can then be sold on to a fertilizer company who can, uh, they can blend it uh, to create an agricultural fertilizer. So I think that's the way to think about um, sewage treatment in the future is that you have a resource and you can harvest energy from it and useful products. So it isn't waste and, and maybe we need to change our language. It is a resource that has a, its own life once it's flushed down the toilet or flushed down the sink or whatever. Yes, exactly. That can go back into circulation uh, rather than, you know, the old way of thinking, as we said earlier, of, um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. If we can see that there's a, a benefit to be got from it at the end, I think everybody would feel better first. But I think it's about raising awareness and making people uh, from a young age uh, know that uh, when they flush the toilet or wash their dishes, that there's um, there's a consequence at the end of it. And to end, Tom, what's your top tip for people who, who want to make sure that they're not going to harm the environment in terms of what they flush down the toilet? What should they do? Well, uh, I would use the saying, only flush the three Ps. Uh, that's paper, pee and poo. And Jean, do you add to that? And then not the fourth P, pharmaceuticals. So no medicine. <laughs> well, there's plenty more of this uh, on rte.ie slash brainstorm. But for now, Gino Dwyer, UCC and Tom Curran from UCD. Thank you both so much.